you're tired of spending money on trail cameras you use as tools only to find out they're built like freaking toys or you've struggled with unreliable not so dependable cameras or experienced customer service that flat out disappointed you i've been there those problems literally birthed exodus eight years ago when they shipped their first camera exodus had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enabled you to set it and forget it all season long but also to back them like no other company was willing to with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers. They've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best-in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. They wouldn't use it, you don't get it. Exodus is so confident you'll love your new Exodus camera. They're offering you, the listener of this show, 15% off your next order today. Just use code BTE. If you don't love it, get your money refunded in the first 30 days and just send her back. Exodus really has two excellent cell cam options for uh, all budgets, and they start at just $179 plus your 15% off there. You use the code BTE. They have competitive data plans that allows you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you can run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends, no charge, which makes the Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There are no additional fees for HD photo requests. That's pretty nice. No additional fees for video uploads. And all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. See for yourself why so many have made the switch to Exodus and experienced Exodus difference. Use code BTE to get 15% off your next order today. Now let's talk about Osseo gear. It's a great option for whitetail hunters. They develop a premium line of bow hunting gear that will rival any other clothing on the market in quality. Plus, you got a lifetime warranty on anything you buy from Osseo, which is pretty nice. They have a super unique camo pattern and great technology in their garments to keep you comfortable in the stand. So visit asiogear.com, get you some premium hunting clothing. Also, I want to talk about hunting beast gear makers of the beast stand and beast sticks in my opinion the best option for a mobile hunter that's looking to pound the public land or just hop around on your private land i don't hardly worry about permanent stands anymore on the uh, few pieces of private i do have i just use that beast stand and sticks and i got so good with putting it up uh, taking it up and down i really feel comfortable using it in any scenario whatsoever you haven't had the experience of getting your hands on a beast stand and trying it out for yourself go to beastgear.com get your pre-order in for the stand order you some sticks and become more deadly this deer season speaking of deadly gotta talk to you about stealth outdoors makers of stealth strips which is a great addition to any beast stand that you're going to buy or beast sticks it's a great addition for all kinds of stuff i just put some on my bow the other day Stealth strips really are a, a product that any hunter, whether you're a weekend warrior, 
or a guy that hunts almost every day really needs to take advantage of. Stuff absolutely deadens your, your gear uh, to make it essentially uh, noise-free. If you haven't checked out Stealth Strips yet, stop buying all the other crappy alternatives like the hockey tape and any other stuff you're trying to use to silence your gear. Get the good stuff. Get Stealth Strips. Visit StealthOutdoors.com. Pick you up some Stealth Strips. All my partners are linked in the description below. Go check them out. Hey, everybody. That was a pretty hard intro there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, man. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, tonight, we have Shane Sensimon. We're, uh, we're going to talk about some deer tracking and all kinds of other stuff, probably. Um, Shane, I've been watching you on YouTube for a long time now like years um thank you and it, it's kind of crazy how uh how much you've grown you your channel is fairly large now i mean in the grand scheme of things so um there's a reason for that you make good quality content appreciate it yeah um i don't you guys know what have, it's up to yet but i think it's in the 40s yeah like that. yep youtube's a grind man and that's what like the the people that uh, are successful at it, that's what they do. They just grind and they just keep going for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I got, I've accumulated all these uh, followers, you know? Yeah. I'll tell you, it, it is definitely a grind, especially when you're out of state hunting, you know, many out, you're up many hours a day. And so there were some days I was like, man, just forget this camera stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. But yep. at the end of the day, I enjoy going back and looking at you know, some of the footage myself for personal yeah. reasons and and so uh it's worth it so i just i just tell myself put, just put in the extra work it's worth it in the end you uh you're one of the ones too like when i started really really getting into filming like some of your it's it the videos have to be quite a few years old now but some of your like how you film hunts recommendations are like top notch especially if you're turkey hunting because i i got into turkey hunting later in life and mm -hmm. especially filming turkey hunting i didn't start doing that until a couple of years ago but uh, or a few years ago, I guess now, but um, you have some very uh, efficient and unique ways of filming turkey hunts that I have implemented in, in to my uh, arsenal of camera gear and all that kind of stuff. So one day, one day it's going to be easy for everyone to film the hunts, you know, with 360 cameras, you know, becoming yep. more and more prevalent. Um, there, there are times where I thought about just, you know, you'll see in some of my videos coming up where I just have a 360 camera mounted right here and that's my only camera and and um, and I use my phone to talk to kind of narrate things so it's it's getting easier and easier to self-film oh yeah the technology. the uh, the action cams we'll call them or whatever yep. you know they're getting better way better yeah um and I I got one I got a 360 camera this year and I got a GoPro on my bow and like you got two angles there that are going to be pretty good for bow hunting. Now, obviously gun hunting and stuff, it's going to be a little tougher, but, um, yeah. but yeah, it's like, it's, it's pretty easy to get a shot on film now. Yeah. I'm, I'm always looking on Amazon each year to see if there's a, a new 8k action camera out, you know, that's yeah. my next, next step. I'm looking for something that allows me to just put a couple cameras around me and then I'll be able to crop in instead of yeah. you know, physically zooming in. Right. Right. Yeah, we're getting a little nerdy now on this stuff. So, <laughs> we'll quit. <laughs> um, but uh, if you guys have questions for Shane or or myself, 
go ahead and ask them in the uh, question in the in the comment section there on the right side of your screen, and we'll try to get to them tonight. Uh, we're going to talk all about deer tracking and shot placement and broadheads and everything else when it comes to after the shot. And uh, Shane, how long have you been using dogs to track deer now? Yeah, we're going in our into our seventh season, so I've done it for six okay. years. I got you. What I was going to ask you, what made you get into like what what made you decide to get into that? Uh, a buddy of mine I was hunting with, I was filming his hunt. Um, he put a bad shot on deer, didn't get much penetration. And I'd already been thinking about that prior to it. Yeah. But that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. And, and well, what really broke the camel's back was when we posted on Facebook in Minnesota here looking for people to help us grid search the next day. Because that's the way you looked if you lost blood. There was no blood. Um, and we had volunteers told them where to meet us the next morning zero people showed up and i was like yeah can't count on anybody <laughs> yeah so uh, i'm gonna get a dog i can count on the dog but he at my my buddy owns his own company he paid one of his employees you know to help us grid search all uh, up until around noon the next day yeah and so um i was like yeah a dog would make this much more efficient and so i went and got a pup uh like a month or two later <laughs> How, how, uh, what's the process like training a dog to scent trail a, a deer after it's been shot? Uh, there's kind of a lot to it, but it's, uh, fairly simple in the big scheme of things. Um, you, first of all, the first steps is you want to make sure they, they recognize what the goal is, and that's to, to follow uh, a trail of a wounded deer or whatever. That's what I train my dog for specifically for wounded deer. I don't track anything else, no bears or anything. Um, the first, thing i did was just drag a little piece of beef liver across the yard 40 yards and make you know hit it behind a tree brought the dog out right away pointed to the spot and said find it um come up with a command that your dog knows that you're going to be tracking deer that way when you're walking to the hit site they hear that word like find it or uh hunt it up or whatever you want to use and they know that okay they're working now and so it you don't want to spend a lot of time on like liver drags and hide drags and leg drags and stuff because that's real easy for the dog. You just want to see if they understand the concept. And then I transition quickly to using a hoof of a deer. And you want to get a hold of hooves from deer that were shot and ran away and then were recovered, not deer that were shot and dropped in their tracks with like a gun or hit mm -hmm. by a car uh, because those deer release other odors that a dog can key in on that tells them that this is a wounded deer. And that comes in handy later because not only do you want them to track a specific deer, the dog can indicate whether that deer is mortally wounded or not. They'll give up on the track and, you know, like, yep, I'm not following this deer anymore. It's not mortally wounded mm. because the deer, when it's hit initially, it may release those odors. But 100 yards, 200 yards later, it stops and relaxes and it's just a back whack. It stops releasing those odors. Dog gets to that point in the track and it says, yep, the deer quit. Uh, putting off that odor and they're, they're using the same thing that coyotes use to find your deer that's why coyotes find wounded and dead deer so mm. quick they cut a track of a wounded deer they know the difference between a healthy deer and a wounded deer so concentrate on uh go ahead now because deer season starting tomorrow in some places and saturday and a lot of other places start asking people to save those legs uh i vacuum seal mine uh together from each individual deer so they don't cross contaminate yeah and i freeze them and then when we do training tracks, 
Um, I just open up a pair and you can use a broomstick or something and, and hose clamp it to it and just walk it. I don't, I don't recommend, I mean, some people use blood. I was of the mindset of not using blood because there's going to be oftentimes where you don't have blood. Right. And there's going to be like a few molecules, scent molecules of blood on the, the leg you're using to lay the training track. And so the, the, the dogs, when they get real tracks under their belt, they're going to learn to associate the blood and lack of blood with the deer they're finding. But if you just train on blood, when you go out there to track a deer that was shot and it quits bleeding, you're going to have a hard time uh, locating that deer because the dog was trained just on blood. But anyway, I can go into a long story about the, the training process. But you, <laughs> right. basically, you basically want to, as you're training, make the tracks longer and age them longer, make them a little more difficult. As long as the dog's progressing in its training, just keep doing that. And then you're going to introduce other distractions along the way um like take a hide from a another deer lay your training track and age it say eight hours and then right before you bring your dog on it take that hide and drag it across the track at 100 yards or 200 yards and see if they jump track to the hot smell and then you can correct them say nope do not follow the hot smell follow the one mm. we own and stay on it so there's a lot of uh aspects of training and uh um, there's plenty of resources online, YouTube, uh, unitedbloodtrackers.org. You know, you can find uh, resources to help you train your dog. I grew up a dog hunter. Like my whole family had types of hounds, mostly mm -hmm. be beagle hounds. We had walker hounds and all that. So, so like, I'm always real interested about dog, dog stuff. You know, I'd like to get a shed dog sometime. And the, the, the only thing that keeps me from doing what you do is that I love to deer hunt. And it seems like that can kind of, uh yeah kiss your hunting hunting career goodbye when you start tracking yeah <laughs> I, not only does it there's a chance that you will enjoy it more tracking more that you'll give up hunting like some trackers do yeah but it, it will take away a lot of your time and for me personally i enjoy tracking but at the same time i enjoy deer hunting but i also have a guilty conscience sometimes if a track comes in and i'm sitting in a deer stand yeah I feel guilty that I have a dog that's capable of finding deer. How would I feel if I needed my deer? Kind? So I'll, a lot of times I'll end my hunt and go find their deer just because I, I feel bad for them. And I want them to, I want them to find their deer. Yeah. I could see that happening for sure. What, uh, what breed does a guy want to use when it comes to dog tracking? Oh man. The, the choices are endless. Uh, oh, are there? Yeah. I mean, just about any dog is uh, capable of, of finding deer. I'd, yeah, that's something you got to research on your own, but the, I'll, I'll tell you kind of the, the selections that I would choose. It, it depends on if the dog's going to be a house dog or a family pet as well. Um, you maybe don't want a super huge dog that barks a lot. My dog, my blue tick coonhound, Callie, she's borderline not <laughs> suited to be a, a family <clears throat> that walks by, and so she yeah. wakes up in the middle of the night. Uh, but she's a great tracking dog. And then our Boykin Spaniel, which my daughter wanted um, for a birthday gift a while, a couple years ago, she wanted to train him. And he's, he's got a great nose on him and he's found some deer, but he's very birdie. And so he kind of hops around and does circles and he, we track on lead. And so he'll end up tying the lead and knots around a tree. And then I've got to untangle him. And uh, He's getting better at it. He knows uh, we did some training tracks this summer and he pretty much uh, did a straight line and didn't do all the weaving and knot tying. But um basically decide what works for you and maybe the, the area you're hunting or tracking like for instance 
<clears throat> when I was looking at getting my first tracking dog, I was, I know there's a lot of marshes and wetlands around here. So I wanted a dog a little bit taller, a little bigger so that could go through that water. Yeah. As opposed to like some people use the little uh, dogs, wire hair Dotsons, Teckles and things like that. Smaller breeds. Um, they don't handle deep cattail marshes as well. Uh, and so there's a lot of factors, but any dog pretty much can be trained to track deer. Just yeah. get one that suits you. That's interesting. Um, let's uh, let's just move on to uh, the the part that most deer hunters care about is the after the shot in their process. Um, what I guess what is the most common issue you see with someone that made a bad shot and they call call you uh, to come track their deer? And what's the mistake most people make? Uh, there's a there's a couple. They track too soon. Um, and then um, they continue tracking after jump bumping the deer. And they, you know, they think, oh, I'll just give it another hour. And then they go out there and track it and bump it again. Um, obviously, you got to assess the situation. Some Sometimes it's invert, inadvertent. You know, they, they think it made a great shot. The deer's slightly dead and they go track it and then bump it and then and realize, okay, maybe it wasn't as good of a shot. But um, I see that all too often where people think, you know, I can go track it right away. As long as the the weather's permitting, uh, don't be in a hurry. Like I shot a deer, and a buddy was hunting with me. He was a few miles away, and told him I shot one. He said, "You want me to come help you track?" And I said, "Yeah, but don't be in any big hurry. Just go ahead and finish your hunt." And I slowly packed my stuff up and headed to the truck. And it was you know a couple hours later before we even picked up the track. Temperatures were great for it. You know, didn't, I wasn't worried about spoilage, and so. Uh, I wasn't in a big hurry, but also one of the things, I guess the mistake they make is they, you know, they just shot a deer and they're super excited. They get loud they start high five and stuff. Uh, they don't pay attention to the little things after the shot, sit there quietly, listen, uh, see what you can hear as the deer runs off, observe where the deer run off, ran off, uh, mark mentally mark the last spot you saw the deer. All those things uh, don't seem important at the time. But if you end up needing, if the track starts getting difficult, uh, those things are really critical. Yeah. Um, you care if I just give you some like uh, scenarios and maybe just talk about that? Like, um, like your recommendations for someone's like, I shot a deer last year in the liver. I knew his liver hit all day long. Like, what's a guy supposed to do or a girl if you shoot something in the liver? What, what's your, like, as a dog tractor that's been on probably hundreds of tracks now? Um, what's the worst case scenario with a liver hit? Well, worst case is it's going to be alive for quite a while afterwards. Um, mm -hmm. Liver's liver's tricky because you can hit some parts of the liver. I don't know if you've ever cut a liver open, like cross-sectioned mm -hmm. it. It um, it doesn't have like blood vessels like you're you know like you're used to or arteries going through the body like you're used to. It has more like little tunnels through it that blood flows through it. And I guess that's a way for it to filter out the um, the bloodstream. But you, there's some big tunnels, you know, like almost the size of my pinky. There's little tunnels running all through there, and blood's flowing through there. And if your broadhead cuts one of the big ones, that deer can die within minutes. But if you hit another section, maybe miss the tunnels or hit a little one, um, the die it could take longer. And so, depending on where you hit the the deer in the liver, can really affect how long before they expire. So it's it's tricky. Um, if we know it's a liver hit, we are basic. Um, game of uh rule of thumb is um to give it 
used to I used to give them like six to eight hours, but I started coming up on a lot of liver shot deer still alive, and so now mm. more along the lines of giving them at least ten to twelve hours. I have seen them alive sixteen hours later after a liver shot, but I think if you you go in at ten to twelve hours, you're pretty safe. Um, there are going to be a few instances where they may still be alive, but uh, if the temperature is an issue, I, I tend to play it on the lower end just because we're trying to recover that deer and hopefully it, it, and not lose any meat. So that's a concern also. Um, but if the, the temperatures are okay for waiting longer, by all means, wait longer. Yeah. Okay. What about like, let's just keep going. Let's go farther back what if you hit them just right through the freaking guts like right in front of the hip and you're like gosh dang it yeah that's a standard 12 hour wait um and some some trackers like to wait give it 24 hours um okay and so uh, what happens is those uh when you cut open the the intestines or stomach and, and and whatnot the those toxins or whatever get in the bloodstream and you know i'm not an expert in this i just know the the process it they go septic and it takes them a while to die sometimes. And so 12 hours is kind of a rule of thumb. And some feel like uh, maybe 24 hours. I'd, I haven't run into too many that were still alive after 12 hours. It seems like either they're dead or they're so weak at that point that it's easy to come put a finishing shot in. They don't run away. Yeah. So that's kind of my rule of thumb. A, a gut shot is the easiest. I think one of the easiest to recover with a dog. Uh, for a hunter, mm. you're not going to have blood trails um, usually, and so you're if you know you hit way back, just back out, get a dog, and you you have like a ninety five percent or higher odds of recovery with a dog on a gut shot, especially if it's clean a clean track where you didn't even track it. Just back out, get the dog, and they'll find it the next morning or you know twelve hours later or whatever the tracker decides he wants to. Uh, what time he wants to track uh i just curious i guess is, is it because that deer is giving off so much of that uh land that they I, that they're wounded and yeah i think it's a combination of several things you know the the i don't know if the because of the guts uh puts off more molecules of scent that's easy for the dog and and the fact that the deer it hurts and they they, they feel sick and maybe they're putting some more of that stress uh odors and scent molecules that the dogs can pick on that this is a wounded or hurt deer but for whatever reason they they usually don't have a, a hard time i can put my dog a lot of people you know, a lot of trackers they love to jump out of gut shot and gut shot request comes in they're you know they're fighting over it not literally but uh you know they're right. they're eager all the trackers are eager, eager to go on because it's usually it usually is a clean track because there's no blood for the hunters to track. And so they just basically give up without contaminating the track too soon or too much. And, um, and yeah, I can put my dog on a gut shot deer, you know, 12 hours later. And usually she just takes me right to the deer within a couple minutes. I mean, it's, it seems so easy for them. Now that's not going to be the case every time, but there's very high odds of recovery with a, a, a clean gut shot track. You got any thoughts on, um, like you hit something in the shoulder and you don't feel like you got very much penetration. Um, yeah. cause you hear, <laughs> I rolled my eyes at that and I hate those cause, uh, it's either nothing, it either didn't get into the thoracic cavity or it just got one lung. And those are like one of the lowest odds of recovery. Um, cause those deer, 
they they either survive or they just live so long that you're not going to recover them. And especially up here where we had track on lead. Down south, they can uh, run off lead. They can bait the deer. They can come in and dispatch. So I mean, yeah. it's a little easier for them. But if if you're tracking a deer that was like like you described, the best thing is to get on it as soon as possible and uh, just just keep pushing them. And if it, it is indeed a one lung hit, they they eventually can't supply the the blood uh through the body with enough oxygen if they're continuing continually on the move and so that's kind of the rule of thumb there is to to push a one lung hit deer just keep pushing it and you, you it's not very easy to do that tracking and uh, sight tracking as a hunter yeah. get a dog on there and you can do it more effectively yeah how far is a deer run on a one lung though oh man <laughs> um i recovered one one time and he he didn't go terribly far i think about three or four hundred yards and we jumped him and then uh he only made it another 150 yards or so and he laid right back down he couldn't get up the second time um but mm. there's there's stories of people you know like off lead tracking them 10 10 miles um if you don't track it at all odds are that the deer is going to show back up on camera two weeks later and Will it die eventually? Maybe, but those deer, um, there's, it's just a low odds of recovery, low odds of mortality, um, at least in the, in the short term. Yeah. One lung's tough. Yep. I That's should, it. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. No, I, I, a few years back, I had that scenario happen to me and it was like, you know, we, we didn't find it and it was, seemed like he was, every time he, you, he just seemed to kept going, you know, it was like he never was yep willing to give up and eventually you just got to give up on him yeah i see the videos often on on social media and youtube where the guy sticks an arrow in there and three quarters of the arrow sticking out as he ran off and the comments are all great shot good shot you know all this stuff and i'm like if you were a tracker you'd cringe at that because um that that recovery could go either way it's by mm -hmm. far i mean the shot placement may have been okay but if I don't see the penetration, at least, you know, buried to the fletching or a uh, complete pass through, that would worry me. Yeah. Yep. So let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, shot placement and, and, um, probably a topic that everybody would be disappointed if we didn't talk about as broadheads and the kind of what you mm -hmm. recommend as a dog, dog tracker. Um, what, uh, what are your thoughts on different types of broadheads, whether it be mechanicals or just like a hundred grain fixed blade head versus, you know, uh, something with higher FOC. And I'm sure you've seen it all as a tracker. Yeah. Um, I, I have mixed thoughts on it, I guess. Um, yeah, I used to kind of be a you know, fixed all the way type of guy. And there, there's pros and cons to each. I, I like the big cutting uh, diameter of mechanicals, what they usually offer but it tends to sacrifice penetration. And from our data collection, penetration is huge. The, the more the pass-through shots have a much higher odds of recovery with or without a dog, it seems like. And, um, or with a dog for sure, because our stats show that, but without a dog, it seems that way as well. Um, you get more pass-throughs with a fix, but that smaller cutting diameter um, seems to, cost a little cost you a little bit there's you know it's a balancing act and so i can't i can't these days argue one way or the other um which one is better i personally like fixed because i'm not i, I don't want um to not get a pass through the few times i didn't get a pass through 
was um, with mechanicals when I tried those out a few, several years back, whenever, back in the early 2000s. And um, so I, I guess I really don't have an answer either way. I mean, if, you, if you're getting past those with a mechanical consistently, by all means, keep shooting it. Um, yeah. But um, I'm not going to say change that because that's, that's going to give you great odds of recovery. If you could shoot a fixed head with maybe a little bit bigger cut, that'd be nice. You know, the, I'm, I'm interested in seeing what, you know, we're going to talk about the app later, what the data is going to come in from that. And kind of, we have small uh, sample sizes. You know, we have 400 tracks under uh, in our data collection. But in the big scheme of things, that's a small sample size. And right now it shows like pass-throughs are king. Fixed blades do better at pass-throughs. Um, mechanicals suffer at pass-throughs, but if you don't get a pass-through, mechanicals are king. You know, if yeah. you had you had 10 shots with a fixed no non-pass-through and 10 shots with a mechanical non-pass-through, those mechanicals are going to be found more often than the fixed. And so there's, you know, it's a catch-22 right there. Yeah, I think, I mean, and the internet is, uh, I would say, borderline toxic with this uh, topic. Um, yeah. And I think the moral of the story is like they all can not work. You know, it all can go south on you if, 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 uh, for whatever reason, like you said, a fixed blade doesn't make two holes. And if a expandable, um, you know, if you hit the shoulder with expandable and it blows up or, you know, just they, they all can not work and they all can work great. Yeah. I, th I think if I had one issue with mechanicals, it's, it, it hides problems with the tuning of your bow. Yeah. I got a buddy I was just talking to uh, last week and he wants to shoot fixed and he cannot get his fixed broadheads to hit where his fill points are. And he's throwing everything he can at it. He, he can throw a mechanical in there and it hits right there with it. And I'm like, yeah, but you're masking some issue. Mm. Um, you may be able to hit the deer where you want to, but then that may end up sacrificing penetration. Um, I would be concerned, you know, I would be, um, focused on trying to figure out why you can't get your fix to hit where your mechanical I mean, where your field points hit right and then and then if you want to shoot mechanicals after that go ahead 100%. but there is there's an issue going on if you i mean there, we're talking a foot to the right of where his field points are if you're yeah. if your bow is in tune and shooting straight no matter what fix you use it should if they're a good quality fix and don't have yeah, a good arrow and all that yeah yeah i mean there's there's cheap fix broads out there you know broadheads that have bent i've seen them with <laughs> bent blades right out of the package and yeah, yeah those are gonna fly crooked but um so yeah so make sure your bow is shooting straight number one yeah you're gonna have a hard time with fixed blades if they're not i mean you're you're gonna drive your pull all your hair out yeah. um for sure um and another thing is if if your uh, bow isn't tuned, you're losing a lot of efficiency with your bow mm -hmm. too. You know, that arrow's wasting a lot of energy trying to correct itself in flight. Uh, the veins are, and that's, that's not good either. And, that, and then you're going to shoot a mechanical and then have less energy coming into the uh, animal because it's, you're wasting all that energy in the you know first half of the shot with the arrow trying to correct itself. Yep. So it's just or like a, you know, or yeah. it hits the deer at a slight angle. I mean, it may not be uh, noticeable to you in live action, but if it hits it at just a slight angle, you yeah. just, it just sapped a lot of penetration out of that arrow. Yeah. I was, uh, I shot mechanicals back in the day, like in the early 2000s, kind of like when you were talking, when the rage in the cage and all that mm -hmm. stuff was being marketed real heavy, you know, and I killed a lot of deer with them. 
Um, and then for the last several years, I've shot only fixed blades, you know. Um, but I've always been like, I've always struggled with like some of the blood trails and, you know, just, just little things, you know, never, um, never per se had, uh, real big issues with them. But then like, it, like there's a lot of really good hunters that kill a lot of deer that shoot mechan or mechanicals. And, you know, their argument is, is the accuracy argument. And then also, um, I think today's technology is much better than it was in the early two thousands, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I just, uh, uh, I think there's some really good broadheads in on both uh, ends of the spectrum, mechanicals and fixed blades now, and it's just six to one half dozen the other. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm playing around with the thought to try mechanicals again, just to you know, just yeah. experiment. But then I know I'm. I'm probably going to regret it. I'll as soon as I. It may not even end up being the broadhead's fault. As soon as I lose my first deer as mechanical, I'm gonna blame that head. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to remain neutral. On it, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, let's, uh, let's talk about, we got a lot of questions, so let's talk about the app now. You're part of the new tracker app that, uh, you guys just introduced, uh, would you get, it kind of came about what around July ish, July, August timeframe, Shane. August is when, um, Android, uh, launched. Um, I can't remember. I think it was around, earlier mid-august heck i can't remember the days yeah to blend together uh ios just launched last friday yep um so that that's kind of what we're putting as the official launch date because both of them are available now right okay gotcha so for anybody listening right now that doesn't know what the tracker app is at all can you kind of give everybody the elevator pitch for it and kind of describe it basically basically it's a one-stop shopping for a, a, a qualified tracker in your area uh, where before you had to go down a long list of phone numbers and ask friends, you open, you know, you create an account on here as a hunter, it's free. You submit a tracking request, which is, you know, a bunch of questions that a tracker is going to ask you anyway and hit submit. And it goes out to every tracker in the area that um, matches um, the criteria for your track. Say they track deer and you're within 70 miles of their house, if, if that's what they their range is. Um, say there's 10 trackers in that area that match that criteria a push notification goes to their phone instantly um, and alerting all 10 trackers hey i need help finding this deer uh, so you don't have to worry about calling in the middle of the night you don't have to worry about going down a list of numbers uh, just one click and you you find out real within short order whether there's going to be a tracker available for you or not whenever you you talked to me about it quite a while ago about a month ago now probably and the first thing I thought of was like, it's like Uber for dog trackers. Yeah. Or for so, deer hunters. <laughs> yeah. I've heard that. I've heard uh DoorDash. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it, I guess it, it's along the same lines, it, except for like, I haven't used Uber personally. I, I know friends that have, I think you can see the Uber drivers on the map though, right? Like, yeah, you can see at. that. Yeah. Well, you can't see the trackers on the map. Now the trackers, <laughs> can, the trackers can see where you're, where you're located, where your request came from. Cause we okay. have a map on our side, but you, uh, the, I mean, there's a lot of people ask, uh, can I see the trackers in my area? We may add a feature at some point, an improvement to the app that when you hit submit, it tells you how many trackers it went to. Yeah. But for right now you just hit submit and then you just cross your fingers and hope that somebody's going to reach out to you. Um, but, um, there, there was, we didn't see a need in putting a list in there. I mean, there's already plenty of lists on social media and, and everywhere else. We, we did, 
we don't we want to reinvent that portion. We want to do something that's more efficient. Streamline it. Yep, exactly. Uh, um, do you have any type of like vetting process for the trackers? Like, do they have to have so many tracks under their belt or anything like that? It's um, this man, this has been a tricky uh, thing to get through. Um, we want to make sure that when your request goes out, it does go to a qualified tracker. Um, hopefully, we get you the best of the best, you know. Yeah. But it's the the vetting process varies per state. So, like here in Minnesota, in order to be part of our deer tracking network, um, you know, we vet our trackers. And so, anybody that joins the app from that list, I just hit approve because they're already vetted. Wisconsin's the same. Uh, South Carolina. It's the same, you know, they had to pass a UBT one test, um, basically proving their or certifying that their dog is capable of finding wounded deer. Um, other states, it's kind of like the wild, wild west, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, down south where they don't, you know, they've been using deer for tracking dogs for forever. Um, basically, I've found some of the, the guys down there that already know most of the people down there the trackers and so we have a team in different each state down there and i give them a list of names and locations um they either give me a thumbs up like yeah that that guy's been doing it for a while he's got great dogs i would not hesitate to have him track my own deer or my daughter's deer or whatever um this guy i don't know much about i'm gonna reach out to him and then so they'll call him and if it's a, a maybe an inexperienced tracker maybe it's their first year we'll tell them like go ahead and get some more experience and uh, we can add you later if uh, we see that, you know, you, you're getting there. So it, it varies from each state. Um, some states, you know, require a state license to track. And so I have to confirm those things. So like, like I told you before the show, I've been working almost 15 hour days since iOS launched vetting these trackers. And thankfully I have a huge team across the country that is helping me find out more about each person. We're trying to keep the bad apples off and, yeah. um, and 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 uh, assure that when a hunter submits a request, they get a qualified dog, somebody that can. Now, you don't necessarily need to be on these vetted lists. Sometimes, if if someone reaches out and says, "Hey, I've been doing it for five years. I just had no interest in joining a, a tracking group in Minnesota." Um, you know, we'll communicate with them. We'll see what their qualifications are. You know, how many recoveries they got. We'll get feedback from as many sources as we can, and if we feel like they're they're good to go we'll add them to that yeah so that, that makes mean, sense it's, it's a it's kind of an evolving flowing process there's no definitive answer i can give you on how to yeah. get vetted though yeah outside of like the um you know states that maybe whitetails aren't prevalent do you guys pretty much have access to every state that would be prevalent uh on the app yeah the the app is available nationwide if that's what you're asking yeah um, well, I know there's certain states that like tracking is illegal. And yeah, I mean, and if someone joins from that state, I don't know why they'd want to join. Um, yeah. Because uh, we probably just won't add anybody to that state. Uh, some states have uh, where you can track in certain parts of the state or under certain circumstances. So we have to, you know, cross that bridge when we get to it. For the states that it's illegal, I just don't add anybody there. I mean, yeah. there's no sense in adding. Now, they may be located in a state that doesn't allow, but they may track across the border. And so then I'll get clarification. Like, um, I see that you, you live in this state. And that just came up today, as a matter of fact. I think it was in, they, they lived in Massachusetts or one of those states over there that doesn't allow it. 
and they lived at the border and they tracked in the neighboring state. And so mm. um, after some vetting uh, from, you know, some research and stuff, I found out, yeah, they're legit. They got a good dog. They have a bunch of recoveries. And so I had to approve them. They just, they probably should have put in their profile that, you know, a town just across the border <laughs> would yeah. have saved me some trouble. It, uh, it seems insane to me that a state would make it illegal to take your dog on a walk on a lead in the woods. And, yeah. I mean, you know, and that's, that's the, that was the case for Minnesota and it wasn't because they made it illegal to track. It was because they were trying to protect, uh, or they were trying to, uh, eliminate or pre prevent hunting deer with dogs. And so when they originally wrote the law, they didn't put any thought into tracking deer with dogs. And so yeah. they're, 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 the way the wording was uh, put, put into the law, it basically banned tracking deer with a dog just because, you know, how they have the definitions. You're, you're actively hunting if you're pursuing, tracking, chasing, and, and that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so as soon as we bring a dog in there on a leash and we're tracking it, now we're hunting that deer. And so then, it, yeah. So that was the thing in Minnesota. We had to have the word wording corrected. Um, it wasn't that like they were prevent, trying to prevent tracking deer. That makes sense. It's a clerical thing that the yeah. white thought about back in yeah. the day. Yeah. Um, app people are asking, I've kind of been eyeing the comments. Is it cost anything to join? If you're, no, it's, it's, it's totally free to download and, and to submit a tracking request on the hunter side. It's totally free for the tracker. You know, there's no cost at all to use yeah. it to take to accept tracks on the hunter side it's free to download and submit a tracking request now we if we find you a tracker say three of them offer their services you can look at each tracker's profile their rates their experience and then you choose one at that point when you choose one then we charge you a ten dollar finder's fee okay and so and, it's kind of at the discretion of the of the uh tracker how much he's charging to come out yeah there. The, the, the fees for the tracker you you pay them separate um gotcha like if they charge a hundred bucks to come track uh you're gonna pay the ten dollar finder's fee and then you're gonna give your tracker a hundred dollars or if they work on tips you're gonna tip them whatever yeah. uh, but so don't punish your tracker and take ten dollars off his tip just because you had to pay ten dollars for the finder fee yeah. um and trust me we we wish we didn't have to charge a finder's fee but we this the app costs a lot of money to build and maintain and for now that's how we're trying to cover in our expenses expenses and uh, if we can do away with that at some point we will but uh, just uh yeah i think it's well worth ten dollars to find you a, a reputable tracker i was i was just getting ready to say shane the that ten dollar fee is well worth the the hassle that it uh takes away by having everything in one location and yeah, and, and and know you're getting a quality tracker and not just some random dude's name off of Facebook and he have, may have a porch dog or something. And yeah, and it, yeah, that was free, but it just cost you a hundred dollar tracking fee for a dog to go run around and sniff his butt and instead of just trying to find your deer. Right, right. Um, before we get into the questions, is there? Well, first of all, is there anything else with the app you want to talk about, or did I ask you all the right questions? I mean, that's the, the app in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot of features that trackers are going to enjoy. I don't know how many are going to be tuning in right now, but um, there's a lot of things that make our life much easier. I mean, we can, at a glance, we can see a map and see what all the tracks are available, the animal, all the details about the track without talking to the hunter. Um, you can kind of make your assertion or decision 
on the fly, whether you, you're going to take that track or not. I mean, you look at a glance and you see it's a gut shot and I got to work tomorrow morning, so I'm not available. So I don't even, um, I don't even need to entertain the thought of taking that one. Mm-hmm. Or you could tell your buddy, say, Hey, I've got this track on the tracker app. Here's the hunter's contact. Maybe give him a call. You know, um, I'm sure there's going to be some of that where the tracks come through the app and then they're taken off the app without actually completing through it. Um, yeah. We we could do something to prevent that, but right now we our goal is to connect hunters and trackers, and so we'll just let those things slide for now. But um, just just remember, <laughs> without the finder's fee coming in, eventually we're going to run out of money, and we're going to shut it down if we can't uh, yeah. pay for the app to maintain it. Well, I mean, it's like in everything else; like you gotta, it has to be worth it on your end. They're like, why? Yeah. What's the point? You know? Yeah. Um, Growing pains right now. Yep. Yeah. How, how uh, user friendliness of the app? Like, what is like? I go down on the app. Like, can you kind of walk us through the process of of what that looks like? Of okay, I, I hit a deer back. I'm gonna get on that tracker app and start the process. So there's two two routes you can do as a hunter. Uh, number one, you create a, an account and log in. Um, there's no approval process on the hunter side of things. As soon as you create an account, you're in. Um, the first thing you can do is create a weapon toolbox or add a weapon to your toolbox, um, be a bow, a firearm, whatever. You don't have to do that. But for our data collection, which people are going to really want to see when we launch that uh, analytics page later on, the more information you can put in as far as the weapon, the type of arrow, you know, the weight of the arrow, the broadhead, and et cetera, the firearm, the caliber, go ahead and create your weapon. You know, and, and they ask you a lot about it, like your draw weight for a bow, for instance, the draw weight, um, the arrow weight, broadhead, brand, model, et cetera, lighted knock. And then you save that and, it's, and it becomes a preset, basically. So uh, you need a tracker, you hit request tracker button. So the first thing I asked you is, what did you shoot? You know, when did you shoot it? What type of property? Was it public or private land? Um, it's going to ask you what you shot it with. And if you have a weapon in your toolbox, you just select one of the presets and it automatically fills everything out because you've already saved it. If you don't want to go through the time of doing that, um, later in the questionnaire, it's going to ask you what did you shoot it with, what type of weapon, a bow, crossbow, firearm. Um, so you, you don't have to do the toolbox part. Uh, but it's going to go through your standard questions that a tracker is going to ask you. What was the deer's reaction? Where did you hit it on the deer? And there's a little grid for you to pick, you know, the coordinates. Uh, was it a pass through or not? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end, if you have video of the shot or if you have pictures of the blood trail, you can attach those and you hit submit. And that's pretty much it for the hunter. Um, as far as other features on there, the, the analytics page will be coming at some point, maybe during deer season, where all the tracks that come in through the app you'll be able to filter through and, and like I post data on social media every year of our tracks and like the pass through rates and recovery rates, you'll actually be able to alter and filter it to your liking. Like, I don't care about the passives. I want to see this data point. And so you'll be able to do all that uh, from the data that's coming in. Um, and so that's it for the hunter side, basically it's a pretty straightforward. Go ahead. If you're going to be in an area with weak service, go ahead and be logged into the account and just close it out and leave it, you know, running in the background it doesn't it's and it's small too i mean like some apps you know 400 megabytes download this one's like 20. yeah so it's it's not very a very big file on the tracker side of things you uh basically 
sign in uh, your name and and uh you fill out a few things about it and hit submit and it'll a little thing will pop up and says waiting um admin approval and so i get a notification on my end someone signed up i have all the information about them i can see all their their stuff on my side i can't see your password but i can see everything else and uh then the vetting process that i described earlier proceeds and then then i will approve them or reject them you won't get notified of that you just had to try and log in you know every so often we could have built that in to be notified but that adds more expense and so whenever we yeah. cut costs we did so I've, I've gotten a lot of emails hey when will i know i'm approved and i look i'm like you you were approved yesterday <laughs> i just yeah. log in but once you're approved you log in and then you can go in there and you, you can edit more details about yourself you know your range uh, the animals the, serve, the animals you track elk moose bear deer uh, turkey coyotes whatever and then um and then you just wait for you know you can upload a profile picture and then you just wait for tracks to roll in and then you can keep doing the old-fashioned way of having people call you direct um, but this is going to be another resource for you to have in your pocket and um, eventually i think it'll it'll take over because tracker's going to see how much efficient this is yep it's a great idea shane and um I guess the four guys was it was you, Garrett, uh, Greg, and there was another guy that I Ryan, Ryan Carpenter. Right. So yeah, so Greg and I, uh, re, uh, you know, this is an idea I've had for several years, and I approached Greg Goffrey. Um, Greg's got yeah. the money, you know. Yeah. If you guys don't know who Greg, <laughs> that that he's he owns Tethered. Yeah. Saddle company. One, yeah, one of the co-owners of Tethered. Co so yep. he and I talked about building this app uh, a few years ago, and and developer we were talking to at the time it just it was way too expensive and so we kind of put it to the to the side and then i went through another tracking season i called him up like dude we got to do something this is this is rough and so um ryan carpenter actually heard me on a podcast talking about tracking years ago and i was looking for someone to help work on my data and he called he lives you know five miles from me and he called me up or emailed me and said hey man i'd be willing to work on it and so we became friends. We've been hunting together. Um, so he was uh, one I approached also wanted to go into it. And then Garrett Prawl, I've known for years since I moved to Minnesota. I found his YouTube channel. We've hunted a lot together. And so uh, four friends, I, you know, we went in together. And, and so here we are. And I, yeah. I think I think it's a great combination. You have the business know-how of Greg Goffrey. You have the analytical brain power of uh, Garrett and uh, Ryan Carpenter, and then you mm -hmm. have a tracker. And so yeah. uh, I think it makes a great team. Yep. Seems like a good group to, to build something together. So congrats. I think it's a good idea. It'll be successful for sure. So thank you. I hope so. <laughs> it, the, it's the, the link to the website for tracker is, uh, is on the, in the description below. So you guys can go there and check it out online, but then you can go to your app store or your play store on your Android device or Apple device and download. And it's like tracker, like there's no ER at the end. It's just the R. So yeah, T, T, there's no C in it either. It's T R A A R. And the website is get tracker. G E T T R A K R.com. Yep. So go check that out. Hmm. Download it before deer season. Cause you may need it. You just have it on there and just in case. Yeah, and, and just have it because at some point you're going to get an update and it says the analytics page is ready for your use. And, and yeah, it'd be it. super interesting. Yeah. Maybe once that happens after season, we can have you on. We can talk about it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, before we get to questions, you got uh, 
you got your first Nebraska video up just a little bit ago. You were in you were in the same area Dan and then we're at. No, Dan was in the same area where I was at. There you go. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. Actually, you were there he, first. Yeah. <laughs> I was there like a week before everybody out there glasses because yeah. my work schedule allows for me to, you know, to get out there a little earlier. Yeah. And um he was actually not hunting right near us. I think he uh, he ended up closer to us at some point and um I'm not going to talk much about his uh, hunt out there. I guess. Yeah. He didn't want to talk about yet. Wait till the videos come out. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I was, I don't know if the population is up this year or not, but I was finding more deer this year than I have in the past. Um, so that was a good thing. It was a hot one though, too. (laughs) Yeah, it was hot. Like a hundred degrees every day. And I'll tell you what I did this year because, um, I'm so far away from civilization when you're out in some of these remote areas. You know, in years past, I don't have a big, uh, I hope, can you hear those dogs barking? It's all right, though, Shane, don't worry <laughs> about it. Uh, I don't have a fancy Yeti cooler to keep my ice good for days. I just have a little cheap one. So this year, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of running to the store every couple of days, burn up a lot of fuel and time. This year, I took everything that was non-perishable, foods that um, that I could eat without worrying about refrigeration or keeping cold. I drank, I took seven gallons of water and I took a a tote full of canned soup and I took a loaf of bread and little mayonnaise packets. You know, you order those on Amazon and I, and I took um, like canned luncheon meat or little packs you can open up or uh, with uh, barbecue, pork barbecue, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. I made do is actually, it worked out and it was actually much cheaper. I think I spent $50, $54 on 11 days worth of food yep and so i i I ate well i guess Uh, i think i may actually gained a pound or two while i was out there even though uh, hunting hard you can't can't eat on much less than that in 11 days yeah yeah i don't know anybody can do better than that (laughs) and no oh i did Um, i did splurge a little bit i had me some oatmeal cream pies that was my dessert (laughs) there's where that uh those pounds got (laughs) yeah um yeah, Nebraska. Well, I shouldn't say much either yet, but because our video hasn't came out yet, but uh, I was in a different area than you guys, quite a quite a ways away, and it was quite the opposite. Got had some rumors that EHD hit that area real bad, um, and that was one of the reasons they lowered the tag numbers. And I, you know, that's all kind of hearsay stuff. But anyway, yeah, I think the tag number, permit numbers were reduced statewide, just in general, because of the the number of non-residents had increased yeah a lot of complaints from the residents yeah that's got to um, be it i mean that just seems like more of a gun season problem than a bow season because i, I, I agree mean, I, I don't think the bow hunters are that big of a threat non-resident ones because I, I don't see many hunters out there yeah. now maybe they show up during the rut or something but right at least not that uh, first week when it's 100 degrees nobody else yeah, stupid they're not as stupid. yeah they're not yeah. As stupid as us. <laughs> you were using a longbow out there right? or your recurve yeah i i did that for first couple of days um I, I don't hunt elevated with the recurve it just doesn't mm-hmm. feel natural and it does it to me this is just a personal thing traditional equipment is a ground game it's not mm-hmm. a elevated if i'm gonna hunt from a tree i'm gonna just hunt with a compound and so i did i did my goal was to get one with a recurve and hunt almost exclusively exclusively with it. But there was instances that I knew I'd be elevated and I took my compound and that, that ended up being 
um, when I ended up transitioning to, I finished out my last couple of days there with the compound just because the areas I wanted to hunt, I wanted to be elevated just to not only hunt, but learn, be able to observe at the same time. It's hard to observe when you're down in the brush, you know, yeah. you're basically stuck to just that one spot. Yep. Um, it's tough shooting a uh, traditional bow out of a tree a lot of times too. Like the, their sight picture so different up there. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably why I did that. The first time I, uh, hunted from a uh, from a tree with my recurve. I did not like it one bit, and that was the yeah. last time I got elevated with my recurve. I was up in North Dakota uh, that year, and I was like, "This is a big mistake." <laughs> and so, yeah, you won't see me in a tree with a recurve again. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I might get you know a couple feet off the ground. I've thought about carrying my platform, and then just like if I need to see over some brush, hook it to a tree and just stand on it. But you're still at that point you're like standing in your yard practicing i mean it's going to feel fairly uh, right similar. you have problems shooting out of the saddle with that thing with your longbow or your recurve no it wasn't that it's just being i guess because i practice so much with my recurve from the ground i practice laying in yeah. the prone position i lay uh practice sitting on one knee sitting flat on mm -hmm. my butt because there's going to be instances where that may come in handy and i actually shot my first deer with it sitting flat on my butt like i'm turkey hunting mm-hmm um with my recurve and then when i get elevated it's like you said the sight picture even though i'm shooting they say it's not instinctive it's intuitive it's like you when you throw a baseball you just look where you want to throw it and you don't think about it i that's the way i shoot but it feels weird when you're elevated and i feel mm -hmm. i don't feel like i can hit what i want to you know or i can't throw the baseball to where i want to hit you know mm -hmm. um the, on the ground even like in the prone position which doesn't give you that depth of you know mm -hmm. i feel i'm pre pretty accurate even just laying on my belly yeah. on the ground shooting a recurve i can actually have practice where you just hold the, the recurve horizontal and just pull it like that and just from down at belly height and i yeah. can hit the target pretty good so yeah there may be an instance where i get caught off guard and buck comes walking in i can't come up and do this i can just pull back and shoot yep i think that's how uh i like to get jared scheffler on sometime because he dude that guy yeah. He practiced in all kinds of crazy scenarios and ways. And yeah, we uh, had a, he and I had a long talk um, a couple of years ago. He was in Wisconsin hunting with THP and I was in camp with those guys. And we, we sit around the fire at night talking about shooting traditional equipment. Um, I have my thoughts on it too. And, and, and I had a lot of questions for him because I, I wanted to know what he was using for a quiver. I hate quivers being mounted to the side of a, traditional bow. Mm -hmm. i like the simplicity of a stick and string and as close to that as possible um i have i haven't really found a hip quiver well i bought a, a quickie quiver you know the the, mm -hmm. the old school ones yeah yeah uh they have a, a hip type one that you can position and so far that thing's working out pretty sweet and you can detach it without undoing your belt you can just mm. push a button it off. you can swivel it if you're crawling your hands and knees you don't want the arrows sticking way up behind you it's like that yeah. So you can pivot it back so it's level when you stand hmm. up. So it's working out pretty good. But anyway, yep. Uh, we could go down a big rabbit hole. With yeah, traditional gear with me at least. Um, yeah, Jared. Me and Jared had the same conversation at a show one evening. Like we just got into it, and he, yeah, he he is a uh, he has a unique mind for it. He's really uh, doing some crazy things with that. Yeah, I um, I got I told him he needs to get his arrow flight tuned because <laughs> I keep thinking about that big Kansas buck he shot. Oh, that, look, that arrow. I like, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking he about. He said, "Yeah, I'm getting that. I'm gonna get that corrected." So, I'm, well, he like he, he does so many different like I don't know how he's 
consistent with it, like the way he shoots. But I mean, he it obviously. Well, I mean, think he, he about does it. Good job, though. You so. Think about it. If I gave you a baseball and said, "Toss it to me," throw it to me, you know, flick it behind your back. You don't need to think about that. You know, you can yeah. be pretty accurate. And that's yeah. what he's done. He's done it so much that it's become an extension of his body. He doesn't need yeah. to worry about different odd angles. Yeah. Um, and that's my goal. I mean, I, I, all, I'm all for people wanting to get in a traditional shooting, but the, my kind of, my mindset is people get out there and they just shoot like this and they use the tip of the arrow to aim and stuff. And, and me personally, at that point, I'm going to just shoot a compound. If I'm going to use a reference, I want this thing to give me a huge advantage. I'm already sacrificing yeah. distance. So I want to be able to, you know, snap shoot. I want to just come up and shoot. You know, I want to yeah. take advantage of those uh, aspects. Uh, my buddy, I'll tell you a story. Then we'll we'll get to the questions, everybody. But uh, my buddy Alan, he's been hunting with a longbow. He never never went to a compound. Like he's an older guy now, and he's always used uh, a longbow or a recurve. And we got invited to go turkey hunting with the guys from the Push. Have you heard of those guys? Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, at camp they had like a three D target range set up. And Alan's old school, like old school longbow. And I mean, he snap shoots or whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, they're all sitting there with like, you know, sitting there holding for, you know, 10 seconds. And then, you know, they all have these kind of their traditional bows, but they're metal and all that yeah. stuff. And he was just sitting in a lawn chair watching everybody. And I sat down there by him and I was like, uh, what do you think of all this, Alan? He's like, they're going to aim with that thing. They might as well just go grab a compound and shoot it at them at targets. And I think people want to be able to, um, not all, but I think some people just want to shoot a deer with a recurve without actually learning or putting in the work to, yeah, to, to shoot it in a, like a more of instinctive style. And so when they get that deer, they can say, yeah, I shot that's what this one with a longbow. I shot it with a recurve without any other details, you know, you don't need to give anybody details, but I think you're, you're kind of cutting yourself short on the accomplishment. Get out there and get that quiver off there. Get the sights off there. Just do it uh, the way I, I guess it's just my opinion. Now, so yeah, don't, right. don't come at me. Um, but it's just the way I think it is intended to be hunted with. Yeah. Freedom, get that freedom. I would, I would agree with you. And I've, I went down the rabbit hole of like some of that stuff, uh, with aiming and stuff. And I always just like, forget this. This is, I don't like it. It's like, it's like, I don't, I don't shoot any better for one. Cause I, I psych myself out or something. Too much and to just, think about in the heat yeah. of the moment. And dude, if I just, I just sit there and if I just let my, cause I'm, I'm fairly hand-eye coordinated person anyway. And if I could just, if I just focus on that and just practice, I'm way better it's, off. It's like, for me, I don't need a whole, I don't want a whole lot of thought process into shooting a deer. I, I practice with my yeah. compound and, I was I was out there practicing with my, my buddy Ryan Carpenter, one of the uh, co-founders mm-hmm. of Tracker, and and I was shooting at the target. And he said, "Do you use your sight bubble?" And I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, your sight bubble." I said, "Man, I've never looked at that thing in my life." <laughs> yeah. He said, "He said look at it when you shoot the next time to make sure your bow's level." I was like, "I'm not gonna be looking at the thing when I'm shooting at a deer. Why well, I want to be looking <laughs> at it when I'm shooting at a target?" You know, um, and that that's just one more thing to. I'm trying to, as it is, I'm trying to put my peep and center it so the circles match and mm-hmm. then look at my pin. And last thing I want to do is now look at a a, a bubble level and mm-hmm. then, you know, and then go measure this and that. I'm like, there's, I got a task at hand right now. Yeah. That's putting the arrow. I, yeah. Ideally, you want your bow uh, balanced enough where you don't have to look at it, it just yeah. naturally is level. But yeah, I don't know if you can see it, but I keep my long bow sitting right there and 
in my office and I, I got a target right out the window here and I try to shoot it all the time. Like you just lift it, the window up and shoot it out the window. Yeah, no, I don't do that. I <laughs> step out the door here, but, uh, yep. It takes a lot of, a lot of practice. It's, it's a commitment if you want to try to shoot something with a, a traditional bow. Uh, but I, I'd recommend people try it. If at least just pick one up and shoot it, you don't necessarily have to hunt it with it. It's a good time. Yeah. It's, all fun right, to, let's, it's just fun to shoot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's talk about some, uh, let's, let's answer some questions, Shane, and I'll let you go. I know you've, you're a busy man. So, uh, George asked, do you, Shane, have you done any testing on percent of recoveries from hunters that sharpen their broadheads versus, versus haven't? No, I have not. And, and we, we hear that all the time. A good sharpen, a good sharp broadhead is, uh, improves lethality. Um, and, uh, I've heard instances of <clears throat> dull heads pushing organs out of the way and, you know, so, yeah. but, I don't know. Is there an easy way to do that? Carry one of those little wire gauges that they, you know, yeah. less archery and then Garrett Prawl has one. You put your blade on it. So maybe when I show up to the track, carry one of those around <laughs> and yeah. uh, test the sharpness of the broadhead, one on the quiver and one that's been gone through the deer. Right. Oleg, he asked, uh, have you recorded the training? Have you recorded the training of the dog videos before, or can you recommend some of the trainers out there on YouTube? Oh gosh. Uh, I have a couple little small ones that really doesn't go into a whole lot of detail. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, Michigan tracker, Brian Alberta. He has a YouTube. I don't know if it's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. I, I need to, I guess, go through YouTube and, and stuff and find a lot of these videos and put it in the playlist and add it to my channel. You know, the, the videos won't be on my channel actually, yeah. but I'll be able to share the playlist because there are some out there, but they're scattered here and there. I don't know if anybody, maybe somebody can comment. Uh, I don't know of one great resource with a, a bunch of just uh, training yeah. for, uh, for specifically for tracking wounded uh, big game. That'd be a cool thing to add to the app or you could like, Go to a tab on the app and have yep. information baby, like baby, that. Baby steps, man. Baby steps. We I know. This, I know. We got a long yeah. list of features, yeah. <laughs> and that we want to add. And just trust us that um, we had to get through this launch, and then slowly but surely, you know, yep. you're going to see different things pop up and say, "Oh, here's a link for this, and here's this feature." But Mark asks, "Is it better to train a young pup, or can you teach an old dog new tricks?" I think it's always easier to train a pup you know, to establish, you know, before they learn bad habits. But, um, from, I got a buddy that's a, a trainer. Um, he, you can pretty much train any dog. Um, so you can teach an old dog new tricks, but me personally, I, I prefer the ease of training a, a young dog, um, you know, before they learn bad habits. No one asked, and I'm going to butcher this man, but are you familiar with Navad? It's more of a bird hunting based. It's um, interesting. Yes, yeah, some type of test. Uh, oh, I, I'm not very familiar with it. I've heard of it, um, so I can't really speak much of it. Yeah, I've never heard of it. I couldn't even pronounce it. So, uh, Pharrell asks, "How does water or water depth of water or water flow challenge the tracking process?" Um, if we had to cross deep water, a lot of times there's scent floating on the water. Um, an, an example, of, like I, I think I've just explained early in the podcast or either before we started, where's where my track, uh, my blue tick, we had to go through deep, waste deep water. She was swimming and she was sitting on top of the water 
and and I think there was some blood floating on it. There was there's there was a lot of scent on the water, and she was able to track across that water. Um, it, if you're talking about rain and whatnot, rain is uh, sometimes a good thing for scenting track uh, scent tracking. It helps the dogs. Too much of a uh, rain can be a bad thing, and but it has to usually be quite a bit. I mean, like a torrential downpour for hours before it, it ruins the scent trail. But moisture is always good for tracking dogs, which, you know, people always ask about trail cameras, checking their trail camera, when's a good time to do it. And I'm, I'm always telling them, do it when it's as dry as possible because dry, dry conditions are terrible scent conditions. Yeah. Uh, George had an, another uh, question here. He said, heard you say that big bucks can do a zombie walk during the rut, even when fatally hit. You tend to give it longer before tracking or assume the search area is bigger. I think he's, you know, during the rut. Yeah, we, we tend to extend our uh, wait times for rut bucks, rutted up bucks. Those don't seem to be an issue no matter you know what time of the year. But, um, man, I've, I've tracked bucks that were shot in September, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty standard. You know, 300 yards later, we find it. Same type of injury on a buck during the or more severe injury for instance a buck we tracked that was shot both lungs uh and lacerated the heart it didn't get into the, the chamber of the heart but it put a deep cut through it and that deer went um approaching a mile oh know? my gosh uh and uh, we found it dead and so i mean they i mean the the deer i shot on video i have on video the one i shot with the target in his antlers mm-hmm that was double lung and right through the heart. I mean, through the chambers and it lived a minute and 37 seconds after I shot it. I cut that out of the video of it just standing there just because the viewers didn't need to see it stand there for that long. Plus it makes for a longer video, but yeah, I was like, did I even hit this deer? What's going on? He just stood there. I mean, and that's just like what your, uh, he described the zombie bucks. Mm-hmm. They're just a tough critter. Here's a good shot placement. We didn't cover Shane. How do you feel about frontal shots with the bow off the ground? Uh, I don't really care for frontal shots so one way or another. Um, I know we've talked with THP and Zach. I know Zach uh, with the hunting public, he likes frontal shots. Garrett Prawl, he will take frontal shots. I've, I just haven't seen much good come from them. Uh, we did discuss where on the ground it might be a different story because you you're having different angles you know like from elevated with the shape of the chest cavity you may get that angle where it can slip off the chest cavity a little easier coming from a downward angle whereas uh, on the ground level with the animal ground shots typically are closer and so that may help a little bit but i'm not going to give a frontal shot a thumbs up just from my experience tracking them and and uh i've you know i've taken frontal shots throughout my life at some point i don't do it anymore just because i never had good good results with it all right oleg had another question he says any dogs you and mixed breeds like labs and poodles uh i can't speak of mixed breeds um me personally i'm looking at maybe getting me like a mountain cur at one point at some point, if if some, Callie, yeah. create some squirrels in the day and track the dogs at yeah. night, when Cali retires, I, I kind of like in the, the the smaller breeds now. Like since I've got the Boykin Spaniel, he's just a great uh, family pet, and uh, he's a lot easier to manage. When you're tracking on lead, that's going to be your factor right there. Are you tracking on lead, off lead, 
or a combination of the two. If you're tracking on lead at any point, you want a dog you can handle because Callie, her first uh, couple of years, just drugged me through the woods. She still drags me through the woods. Whereas Jasper, he's a smaller breed dog and, you know, he can't pull me uh, like Callie can. So it makes it a little more enjoyable to, to track. I want a dog like my buddy Al Sherman of Wisconsin. I can't remember the breed he has. But the dog is just a good tracker, and he's like slow and methodical, and it looks like Al is just taking a Sunday stroll behind him as he's tracking, whereas I'm being yeah through the woods. So <laughs> take get take those factors, uh, uh, keep those factors in mind when you're picking a dog. One that's not going to drag you through the woods, whether you're tracking on lead or off, and uh, uh, yeah, some, there's some other factors, but it's going to be yeah. a personal decision ultimately. I'm well familiar with getting drugged around <laughs> the woods with my walker hounds and english hounds and things like that um zeke if zeke shoots a 400 pound slob in wisconsin this weekend you're going to help drag it or do i got to get jacob to carry it uh, i'll oh, find the deer jacob. For <laughs> <laughs> i'll find the deer for you but it, you're on your own after that unless yeah. you're unless you're a kid or an elderly person or someone like that sometimes i'll stick around to help get those deer in the woods but if you're if you're capable and you got friends I'm on to the next track. Now, I'll I'll add a little caveat to that. If it's like early part of the season, it's slow. I don't mind sticking around and becoming part of the hunt, help gutting it. Uh, I usually stick around for the field dress and just get photos of the organs. Um, And then I may drag a hundred yards or so and then let you do the rest. Yeah. A lot of people were asking about price, Shane. What is like a, like what, what, what would you expect to pay a guy that found your deer for you? Um, it's going to vary. Purposes. Yeah, it's going to vary across the country. Minnesota, we're almost all tip based. All our trackers, Wisconsin's a lot of tip based trackers. Some of them charge. Um, so you're looking at, from what I've seen, the average rate for a, a, a tracker that charges ranges anywhere from 100 to 250 dollars, 300 dollars for a tip based tracker. 50 to 100 dollar tip, depending on how far they drove, how much work they put into it. Except you know. I, I shouldn't say acceptable. It's um it's acceptable to me, but um that's yeah. quite that's quite common. You know, fifty to hundred bucks. I've gotten more than that. Um, it, depending on, I guess, if your financial situation doesn't allow you to tip very much, don't let that be a decision whether you hire a dog or not. We're out there to we want to find your deer, even if it means we got not, we get nothing from you. Give you know throw throw me a beer. I'll be happy. Yeah, I'll drink yeah. it after I get home. Right. That's a. It's it's good to know because I know that's something uh, that people don't like to talk about, but it's like it is part of it, you know. And people people yeah. want to be fair to everybody. Well, we don't guess, want we don't want the man getting in our pocket. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to pay yep. taxes on that. Let's see here. I don't make anything tracking. Just yeah. for the record, I take right. zero dollars in each year. <laughs> Well, by the time you figure gas and dog food oh, yeah. and, and oh, that, there's many know. days that I spent a hundred dollars in fuel and food and stuff, and then I probably made a hundred dollars in tips tracking. So I get home after tracking for ten or twelve hours, and yep. girlfriend's like, "How much money did you make?" I was like, "Uh, zero. <laughs> I broke even." Your time, your time investment into all of this, you know, that's yeah. obviously you got you got to start charging more. Nope. Yeah, I mean, I don't exactly. charge. I don't charge to go deer hunting, and I enjoy it like I'm deer hunting. Right. Truth be told. Uh, Zach asks, are there dog tracking clubs or groups that can help train your dog? How do you find a place to get your dog tested? I'm, I'm, he lives in, uh, 
Watertown, Wisconsin. Yeah, in Wisconsin, they have the, the Wisconsin Deer Tracking Network. Um, they're on Facebook. Reach out to the admins there. Uh, actually, one of the admins is or one of the – I don't know if he's an admin or not, but he's, uh, he's an actual tracking dog trainer, one of the best in the country, in my opinion. Um, he can steer you in the right direction as far as uh, training and whatnot, uh, but the group as a whole will help you get uh, – you know, started in tracking, get you tested. They have testing events. We have testing events here in Minnesota. Look for a, uh, a state organized group um, and they can help. Um, you know, the UBT is the, the national organization that has the judges and does the testing. But these state local organized groups um, work with the UBT and put on the events, you know, and have their judges come out. So I would find a, like Minnesota Tracking Dogs in Minnesota, Wisconsin Deer Tracking Network down south. There's a lot of uh, say Ar Arkansas Blood Trailing Network, South Carolina Tracking Dogs. Just look for them on Facebook and then go from there. Shane, that's the end of our questions. Um, thanks for getting on here, man, talking about all this. I think it's a good topic to talk about right before deer season starts. Makes a guy think before um, yeah. you jump to conclusions after a shot. Um, go over to Shane's channel. I linked it below. He just put a video up about Nebraska uh, today. So, yeah. Make sure you go over there and give him a subscribe and check it out. We uh, so naturally we were in Nebraska and, and uh, at our Airbnb we were staying at all staying at Airbnb. Man, I slept yeah. in my truck for eleven days. I know we had we had <laughs> five guys to split it though, so it was oh, yeah. it, it was it was practical. Um, I chose my my life my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were trying to find Nebraska stuff, and well, we ended up. Uh, of course, you have a a, a few nebraska hunts on your channel man we just we were just been watching my dad was just sitting there binge watching your your youtube channel and everybody was like one thing you guarantee is like you seem to always shoot something whether it be a doe or a a buck you seem to always have a a kill under your belt on, on one of those shows so we yeah. were enjoying it yeah i know i know i watched dan's uh first video you know I, I talked to him when he was out in nebraska and uh I didn't know he he'd been watching my videos until I watched his his video that launched and uh, and he admitted in there he'd been watching my yeah. videos to try to get some insight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So cool. So, However, I get the views, I guess. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then uh, go over and check out the Tracker uh, app. It sounds like you guys have a lot of social media stuff going on with Tracker too. Yeah, we have uh, not enough on there as as I would like because. Um, you know, all of us are busy, but I'm trying to put some stuff on. We have a TikTok account, a YouTube account. Um, did I say YouTube already? Yeah, Facebook, yeah. And Instagram. Those those four main uh, platforms for Tracker. Um, so, yep. All right, everybody. We'll be lo be looking for probably a show tomorrow night, or we'll we'll be in Wisconsin deer camping up there. So we'll we'll probably throw throw on a uh, deer camp. Show. Is that so the, is that next uh, the next stop on the Battle of the Bow? No, this is just uh, Josh going up to Wisconsin with some buddies. <laughs> no, no Battle of the Bow this time. Just a good luck um, up there. Um, thanks. If you need a tracking dog. You know the app to use, right? Yep, that's <laughs> that's for sure. Hope I don't. Hopefully, I well, I hope. Hopefully, I make a, a good shot and it falls over right there. But uh, yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely use it if uh, need be. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. Have a good night. We'll talk to you uh, this weekend.